Thanks for tuning in to our weekly message. Be sure to visit our website, weareheartland.us, to find out more about the ministry and all of our upcoming events. How many of you have heard of the Mandela Effect? It's a somewhat recent phenomenon, uh, but the best definition of the Mandela Effect is false memories shared by multiple people. It's when a large percentage of a population has memories of something that are incorrect and untrue. Uh, obviously, we all have imperfect memories, and sometimes we might you know, remember something differently than somebody else, but when a huge group of people have memories of something that is in fact false, it's called the Mandela Effect. It's called the Mandela Effect because there is a high percentage of people that when asked remember Nelson Mandela dying uh, in prison in the 1980s, but this is not true. But so, so many people, like 50% of America would say, yeah, they remember that happening. They're like, I saw the news headline. I remember seeing footage from the funeral, but that is in fact not at all true because he was released from prison and passed away December 5th, 2013 at his home in South Africa. It's kind of trippy, the Mandela effect. Uh, uh, there's some people who uh, believe this is proof of like multi, the multiverse, that there's other universes where these things are true, and that's why we have these fake memories and so many people. But here are just a few cr uh, crazy examples of uh, the Mandela effect. See how many you are, are a part of. Uh, who remembers Jiffy peanut butter? That's not a thing. There's no such thing as Jiffy peanut butter. There's Skippy and Jiff, and yet so many people have vivid memories of there being Jiffy peanut butter. Not true. Uh, who remembers the book series, The Berenstein Bears? I grew up reading those. I'm sure you did too. Uh, it is not that. It is actually called The Berenstain Bears, not S-T-E-I-N, S-T-A-I-N, which was the name of the authors, the Berenstain Bears. But again, I was one of them. I was like, no, it's Berenstain. I'm sure of it. It is not. Uh, who remembers, many people remember Curious George having a tail. Does not have a tail. Uh, go watch. He does not have a tail, but so many people would draw him and draw it with a tail. Uh, who remembers the Monopoly guy's monocle? Nope, doesn't have one. Does not have a monocle. No glasses, no monocle. He's got 20-20 vision. Very good vision. Uh, here's a trippy one for you Star Wars fans. Get ready. Uh, who remembers C-3PO being entirely gold? Head to foot, head to toe, totally gold. Not true. He had one silver leg. Like the bottom part of his right leg was actually silver. All you Star Wars fans are like so mad at me, but it's true. Go look it up. Uh, number, another Star Wars one. Uh, Darth Vader's famous line, Luke, I am your father, Never said it. He actually said, no, I am your father, in response to Luke's question. Uh, and finally, the <coughs> very famous line from Snow White, where the wicked, or the wicked stepmother, the witch or whatever, uh, says, mirror, mirror on the wall is not true. You might remember hearing that as a child, but the actual line from the film is, magic mirror on the wall. I know, it's blowing your mind. Uh, there's a bunch more, so go down the rabbit trail this week of Mandela Effect. Uh, but also, I wanted to like see, test our staff to see which, you know, who of them uh, are stuck in the Mandela Effect and have false memories of things that are not actually true. So take a look at this video as I walked around and asked our staff these questions. Hi, Carrie. Hello. All right, I'm gonna test you on whether you are part of the Mandela Effect. I'm gonna sit down. You ready? <laughs> yeah, you want to sit down for this. So, what's like the most famous hot dog company you can think of? They have the Wienermobile. Oscar Mayer. Yeah. Would you spell Oscar Mayer for me? O S C A R. Yeah. M M E Y E 
R because I was that jingle. Right. Uh, you're incorrect. The vast majority of people think it's M-E-Y-E-R. It is in fact M-A-Y-E-R. You've been, you're part of the Mandela Effect. Interrupting your meeting. One of the most famous cereals is Fruit Loops, of course. Have you ever heard of Fruit Loops? Yeah. Toucan Sam. Yeah, Toucan Sam. Uh, so would you please spell Fruit Loops for me? As you remember it in your brain. I think F-R-O-O-T-L-O-O-P-S. <gasps> You got it right! So oh, many people! So, uh, real famous old cartoon with the, the cave people, uh, Yabba Dabba Doo. Oh, yeah. 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 It was called? The Flintstones. Yeah, so would you spell Flintstone? Feels like a trick question. I know, it's like you're gonna overthink it. F-L-I-N-S-T-O-N-E-S. Nope! You are part of the Mandela Effect. It is actually Flint. Oh, you never say the T! There's a T. There's a T in Flintstones. Everybody says Flintstones, but it's Flintstones, which the makes more sense. Flintstones, Flintstones. Because it's a Flint. The Flintstones. That is. <laughs> that is. No, that is. Be the Flint. You don't get the T stone. <laughs> Meet the Flintstones. <laughs> there you go. Well, Brent, That's you win. Okay. Brent wins. He's not sucked into the Mandela effect. Good job, buddy. Good job. So. There's the Mandela effect. Uh, it's so trippy, again, uh, not now, but later today, go down the, the YouTube rabbit hole and articles and all that of the Mandela effect. It's very weird. Um, so there are similar examples of this phenomenon from scripture. I don't know if this would technically fall under the umbrella of Mandela effect, but there are numerous phrases and numerous people quoting things that they say are from the Bible, that they remember reading, remember hearing from scripture, but are not actually in the Bible. Uh, some are close, some are kind of twisted versions of what the Bible actually says, some are just straight up wrong, not even close to anything that the Bible says. Uh, so a few of these include, uh, uh, the Lord helps those who help themselves, not in the Bible. Uh, money is the root of all evil. Close, uh, almost, but not, uh, not in the Bible. Uh, the eye is the window to the soul, not scriptural. God wants me to be happy. You can do anything you set your mind to. Be in the world, not of it. Uh, also, love the sinner, hate the sin, which actually I spoke about uh, at our uh, community chapel on July 1st, which there'll be a link in our current series on our website if you'd like to go watch that. Uh, all of those things, we, you might remember, like, yes, I remember reading this in scripture. I'm sure it's from the Bible, but it is actually, those phrases are not in the Bible. So, for these next two weeks, this week and next weekend, we're going to do a short two-week series called Almost Accurate, where I am going to unpack two phrases, very well-known, famous phrases that many of us might believe are from Scripture but are actually not. In fact, they misrepresent the heart of God and what He wants for our lives. Both of these phrases we're going to talk about are almost accurate, but they aren't. And in fact, the more accurate phrase is much more encouraging than the incorrect one that many times we quote. My hope is that over the course of this week and next week, by correcting the inaccuracy of some of these famous scripture passages, we will be more encouraged by what God was actually saying with the accurate scripture versus the almost accurate scripture. So, with that said, here is the phrase that we're going to talk about this week. It is the phrase, God makes all things work together for my good. God makes all things work together for my good. I don't know about you, but I've heard this phrase many, 
many times, even especially this past year with all that has been going on, many people have messaged this to me, and I'm, that's not a dig at them. Every encouragement has meant so much. Uh, I've seen, you know, memes of this phrase with, like, beautiful nature photographs behind it. Uh, I've seen it in online message threads. People send messages and encouragement. Hey, God makes all things work together for my good. And it's a beautiful sentiment. It's a wonderful thought that God would take you know, all things and use it for my benefit. There's even a worship song where we sing this over and over again in the bridge. The song, Your Love Never Fails by Jesus Culture in the bridge. We just over and over again sing because you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. And I can see why anybody would love this phrase. It's an amazing thought and for sure in line with the heart and character of God as a loving divine father that he would want to take any situation and use it to bless his children. But it's not quite accurate. Even connecting to the story of uh, Joseph in the, in the Old Testament, there's this moment where Joseph says to his brothers, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. But this phrase is missing a few very important words in order to be accurate. It's close, it's almost accurate, but not quite. So I want to read you the actual true scripture, the ac accurate scripture of where this comes from. Uh, it comes from a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing to the church in Rome. Uh, so the early followers of Jesus in Rome, the early churches in Rome, were experiencing a ton of persecution, both uh, from the Jewish people and from the Romans for their faith. And so Paul wrote this as an encouragement. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, here is what Paul says. Pay attention to the words. Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm going to read it one more time. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. As you can see, there are a few very important words and elements to this passage that are left out by simply saying, hey, God makes everything work together for my good. So I want to walk through this passage right now. First off, right off the bat, uh, the first three words, Paul says, and we know. Meaning, this is a promise we are given from God. This is not something we are hoping for, something we have to pray for, something we have to wait in anticipation. This is a promise that we can hold tightly knowing it is true. We might not know why, we might not know what's going on around us or have every single step of the map, but we know five things. So there's, there's a five elements to this promise that we know that we can hold tightly to. First is that God works, that God is always working, always moving, always speaking. God is never absent. God is never lazy. God never takes a day off. He is always working. Number two, when God works, he is working for the good of his people, the good of his followers. God doesn't, you know, work to punish us or cause condemnation or guilt or make us feel bad or enjoy taking, like, punishment. No, that's not God's heart. God works for the good of his people. Third, God works for the good of his people in all things. There is not anything left out that God's like, ooh, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to make that benefit you. I don't know how to you know, use that for the good. Nothing. God can use anything and does use anything for the good of his people in all things. Number four, God works for the good of his people in all things for those who love him. 
important, important element to this scripture that Paul says, hey, those who love God, who know God, who seek him, who have a relationship with him, God can and does take anything in all things and can use it for their blessing. And fifth and finally and very, very important, uh, God works for the good of his people and all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. These last two especially, I think, are so important that if we just hold on to the phrase, hey, God you know, makes all things work together for my good, that's missing a lot of key elements, which I want to talk about. But this is an incredible promise from our Heavenly Father, something, like I said, that we can know. Now, there are some truths here I want to explore that are very, very important, and I would argue even more encouraging than simply the phrase, God makes all things work together for my good. As we said, God can and does use anything, not just certain or isolated incidents for the good of his children, but this does not mean that everything that happens to us will be good or pleasant. It will be for our good, but it might not be pleasant. And as human beings, we know this. We know that oftentimes what's best for us, what's best for the people that we care about, might not be pleasant. Receiving medicine through a shot, going through a breakup of somebody that we know we're not meant to be with, moving away from family or friends for an opportunity, etc. Many, many examples. There are often times where we experience pain and discomfort from something that happens to us. Not, that it, not because it's pleasant, but it's because it's for our ultimate good, even if it's not joyful or happy or pleasant in the moment. And God, as our Heavenly Father, knows this better than anyone. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, begged, asked his Heavenly Father if there was any other way for him to not have to bear the sin of all of mankind, to go through the horrible crucifixion, the horrific torture and pain that he went through physically and spiritually, something nobody could even come close to imagining. He asked God if there was a different way, but then in the end, because of the eternal good of the redemption of mankind, Jesus willingly went to the cross to bear our sins. God does not promise us a life without pain. He does not say nothing bad will ever happen to us. What he says is even better. That God promises those who love him and follow him that even when painful circumstances occur in our lives, we can have the joy and the confidence that God can use it for our good. Maybe not our immediate happiness, but our ultimate good. Now, you might be thinking, I like the original phrase better, like, and I get that. Like the original phrase, I just want God to take things and flip the switch and use it to benefit me. That sounds a little bit more you know, nice. That sounds a little bit more appealing, a little bit more pleasing, and I totally get that, but I would, here's what I would argue. I would argue the problem with this is that it is assuming we know what's best for us at all times. Holding on to this idea of like, hey, God works all things you know, together for my good. Why isn't God doing this? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this pain? Lord, why did you let that happen? This is assuming that we know what's best for us in any given moment. We want God to be this magical genie where we flip the switch and rub the lamp and then all of a sudden our circumstances change and he makes us happy in a moment. And yet, how many times in your life, how many times in our lives have we thought something was good in a moment only to look back one or 10 or 20 years later and see how bad that actually would have been? Someone we wanted to marry, a job we wanted, a financial change, a relocation, million other things in between, only one day to look back and realize how 
painful and destructive that job or relationship or move would, would have been. We look back and think, I'm so glad I didn't get what I wanted in that moment because it might have felt better then, but for my ultimate good, it would have been bad and terrible and painful. It made me think of, as a silly example, it made me think of uh, a scene from The Office. I don't know if you like The Office. For sure, one of my favorite shows. The, the uh, Brian Baumgartner podcast on Spotify, An Oral History of The Office, is amazing. Go listen to it. Anyway, uh, there was a scene like later in the seasons where Dwight was excited about being named, uh, uh, like being promoted to this great position. Jim had overheard that the position was going to be eliminated, and so he was like trying, begging Dwight to not go in and take this job because he's like, I know something you don't in that this position is going to be eliminated and he ended up having like literally tackled Dwight to get him it's this great great scene in the end he saved he saved his friend but I remember thinking about this is still example in that moment Dwight was ignorant to the whole picture Dwight only saw like this job this promotion this opportunity Jim knew better and like forcibly prevented this bad from happening to his friends so Dwight thinking like hey in this moment this is what's good Jim understanding in the long term this is actually bad so how many times when we think we know what's best for us in a moment and think God why wouldn't you do this or why would you do that how many times is God saying no no, no but this is good in the future this is for your ultimate good not just your immediate happiness the humble truth we need to acknowledge is that we rarely know what's best for us. We don't know the future. We don't have eternity in our hands. We can't see the trillions of forks in the road that would change at any given change or decision which might lead to something that's good or bad. We don't see that picture. So we must acknowledge the truth that more often than not, our perspective of our own lives is not nearly broad enough for us to say, this is what needs to happen for my good. Yes, we make wise decisions, informed decisions, we're intentional. Yes, we process and pray and run things by our community. But in the end, we just need to admit, I don't know what's best for me always. I know what I want. I know what might make me feel good right now in this moment. But our Heavenly Father is the one that knows all. The problem here, of course, is that we are so accustomed to instant gratification. We might know, look at a situation and think, I know what's good for me now. I know what's going to benefit me, Lord. I want you to give it to me right now. But that very thing in the long run might absolutely be terrible for us. And fortunately, God loves us enough not to do that. God loves us enough to sometimes not give us exactly what we want or exactly what we think we need in a moment. God loves us enough for our ultimate, long-term, eternal good. God knows the future. God knows our hearts. He holds eternity in his hands. So I might think in any given moment, I know what's good for me. I also have to acknowledge many, many times I'm probably wrong and in the ultimate, in the long-term good, it's not. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. 
I mentioned uh, Joseph's story a little bit earlier, it, one of my favorite stories, but just a snapshot of his story is he went from being favored by his father, his brothers were jealous, they, they sold him into slavery, so he's working as a slave. Uh, then he gets kind of promoted and he's doing really well, then he's falsely accused of something, he's thrown into prison, then through the Lord working, he becomes number two in all of Egypt, and because of what Joseph did, uh, because of his wisdom, because of the way that God uh, you know, used him to, to predict dreams, or uh, um, interpret dreams and predict the future, he literally saved millions of people from famine. There's this huge famine that, that hit, but because of this dream, because of the position that God had placed Joseph in, he saved thousands and thousands and millions of people. Not only that, but then it, there was that moment where the nation of Israel came to Egypt, and that's where their numbers multiplied, and the promise God gave to Abraham came true. So anyway, but thinking about Joseph's story, it, there were some moments where he must have thought, how is God in this? You know, his own brothers sell him into slavery. He's working as a slave. He's falsely accused, something he did not even do, and yet he's thrown in prison. And in those moments, he just must have been thinking, God, I thought you were going to work this together for, I'm like your son, I'm your child. Why aren't you working this together for my good? And yet, now that, you know, hindsight 2020, now we have the overhead view to think, had Joseph gotten what he wanted, had he not been sold into slavery, not been thrown into prison, or gotten out of prison right away, there literally the ultimate good would not have happened. Because of Joseph's journey, he saved his family's life, the life of God's chosen people, and thousands of others because of the position that he had been in. And had God given him what he thought he might have wanted or needed in that moment, then this incredible good, this ultimate good that happened would not have happened. It would have been devastating to him, his family, and the people of God. God had the ultimate good in mind, and Joseph in those moments did not know what was good. This means we need to acknowledge that there very well might be seasons or moments in our lives that are painful, that are unpleasant, that are confusing, and yet that is God working. That is God doing what is best for us, according to his purpose for us, according to his kingdom for those that love him. Again, it might be painful and confusing. We're saying, isn't God supposed to bless me? Isn't he supposed to be making this work together for my good? But that very thing, that unpleasant thing, is God lovingly doing what is best for us in the long term and in his kingdom. Maybe it's growing our faith or teaching us humility developing our character, preparing us for a future job, future relationship, future ministry opportunity, any number of things that we just don't know, but he does. Our Heavenly Father is a loving parent, and as any loving parent knows, sometimes that means not doing what is pleasant in the eyes of your child. You know, I think the silly example of, of you know, the parent, parental phrase like, you, you can't have ice cream before dinner, you'll spoil your appetite. That's a very silly example. But f to a child, to deny them a cookie feels like, wait, this would make me happy. Why are you saying no to this? But the ultimate good to say, well, yeah, but I want you to be hungry for nourishment and food that's going to give you energy and keep you healthy. Like the parent has the ultimate goal in mind, even if taking the cookie away makes the child unhappy. God's the same way. God loves us too much to give us exactly what we want if it's not for our ultimate good sometimes. Uh, one of the uh, most amazing stories I've heard is from one of our staff members, Carrie Grimmer, who's our communications director. Uh, she, a couple months ago, in our community chapel, told her story, which I 
please encourage you to please, please go watch that. Uh, we'll also put a link uh, in our website under current series if you want to go watch Carrie's story. Uh, but just in short, uh, Carrie, a number of years ago, was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, as well as a third type of cancer that was discovered, uh, a, th a third type of cancer, a tumor that was discovered during a surgical procedure where she had a double mastectomy. Uh, during the, this process, as she went through a year of chemotherapy, she found out that her, her mother passed away during this time as well. Just this incredibly, incredibly difficult year of, of cancer, uh, chemo, mom passing away, a third type of cancer that was discovered, incredibly painful, difficult journey for their family. But as I talked to Carrie about her story, it's incredible to hear the ultimate good, all the ultimate good that has come through and from that. The biggest thing Carrie talked about is it was because of this journey that she went from understanding how to behave like a Christian to actually knowing and being in a relationship with her Heavenly Father. Up until that moment, up until that season, you know, Christianity, God had just been sort of a thing to check off the list, a thing to do, but it was during this journey, this journey that she understood to, how to know God, how to speak to God, how to listen to God. It changed the way that she uh, teaches her boys how to pray and who God is and how he's involved in their lives. She talked about the strengthening of her marriage to her husband, Kurt, that happened during and after this season, as well as God having used her story to encourage so many other people. And as I talked to her, it was amazing to say, you know, looking at the journey, be like, would you go through it again? It's a little bit like, yeah, I think I would, because it was an unpleasant, painful, difficult year, and yet the ultimate good, the long-term good that God has brought from it is indescribable. I, of course, identify with Carrie's story in the story of Ava, the story of my daughter, that I would want to snap my fingers and change the situation any given moment of any given day, and yet the eternal goodness that God has brought through my child, through my girl, and through her accident is incredible. Stories of, of people returning to church after having run from the church. Stories of people praying who have never prayed before. There was an uh, amazing story of a woman who wrote me and said that she had been praying uh, about possibly entering into um, uh, the care ministry for children with special needs. And because of Ava's story, she felt that was God calling her. And so she's moving and going to school to pursue this career where she's going to bless hundreds and thousands of kids for years to come. Again, I would want to change it immediately. And yet, I can't see the whole picture. God can. And the amount of good for me and for countless other people that God has done has convinced me, has built my faith to an incredible point to say, yeah, you know what, Lord? I don't know. And I'm going to pray for what I think I need. I'm going to pray for what I think I want. And if you don't give it to me, then that just means there's something better. That just means there's an ultimate good versus this momentary good. And so to any of you uh, going through or in the midst of a painful, difficult time, moment, or season, don't settle for the hope that maybe God is just going to snap his fingers and change your circumstance. Because that good might actually in the long run be quite bad. Instead, know that God is working for a much bigger good. Not only for you, but for his purpose for his kingdom, and for people whose lives, stories you might not ever hear. Romans 8, 28. Once again, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them, his purpose for you. 
What an amazing promise that every single human being, even though we are going to experience painful, difficult, confusing, uncertain times, but through the promise of our God, we are promised that he can use it for good and a good that some of us can't even imagine, a good that goes so far beyond our scope of seeing or knowing. And it might not be this side of heaven, but for everything we go through, there will be a moment where we look back and see how much God loved us. Despite difficult circumstances or painful circumstances, there will be a time on the other side of heaven, maybe this side of heaven, or for sure the other side of heaven, where we look back and see the tenderness and the grace and the love of our Heavenly Father, where in the moment we might not be able to see it, might not be able to understand it, and yet see how gracious and wonderful our Heavenly Father is. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray uh, for any, anybody watching or listening right now that is in a moment or a season of pain or confusion or difficulty. First off, Lord, I just pray peace over their heart and over their lives. As your word says that you will bless us with a peace that does not make sense. And secondly, Lord, I want to pray that you would help us hold tight to this promise to know in faith, even if we can't see it or feel it or understand it, that you are working in everything for the good of your children. Not just for our purpose, for something so much better and so much bigger, which is your purpose for our lives. God, I pray you'd give us the surrender, uh, the humility and the boldness to surrender to that, to hold tight to that promise. Because there will be a day maybe standing face to face with you where we can look back and see just how loving you were. But for now, Lord, I pray that we would accept your sovereignty, accept your grace, and know that you are working for the good of your children whom you love. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Join us online for our full Heartland service on Sundays at 9 a.m. and our community chapel on Wednesdays at 7 p.m.